Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Welcome back to Hope Through Hard Stuff. I'm very excited to have as our guest today, Ashley Rhyme. She's a therapist here at Winning at Home. Mm-hmm. Ashley, you specialize in which populations and which topics? Like what, what's kind of like your go-to themes these days? Yeah, I primarily work with young children starting about four years old and then work up until adolescence and teens, so up to 18 years old. And Ashley, how did you know that that was a people group that you were kind of gifted and called mm-hmm. to work with? I guess a little bit of self-disclosure as a teen and adolescent, I struggled quite a bit with anxiety and just had a really amazing therapist who just taught me so much and really walked alongside me in some really difficult seasons. And I think from that age, I knew that I wanted to hopefully be that for someone else. That's great. Mm -hmm. And so how did your journey start? Like, when did you decide that therapy was something that you wanted to pursue as as a vocation Mm -hmm. or as a calling? Yeah, probably when I was about 12 years old. Okay. (laughs) I was pretty young. Um, I don't know how seriously I'd considered it at that point, but I remember at 11 or 12 years old just saying that this is something that I wanted to do. And um, I think as I got older, it became clear that God had really put that as a passion in my heart as well and something that I really desired to live into as a career as I went into adulthood too. Ashley, as you were doing kind of your own internal mm-hmm. work, you probably didn't call it that when you were 12 or right. 13, but when you were a preteen <laughs> and you were ex- pulling on these threads mm-hmm. and exploring these themes, mm-hmm. what did your therapist or counselor do right mm-hmm. that helped you feel both hopeful and empowered? Yeah. She came from a Christian perspective, which was something I grew up in a Christian household, something that I, my relationship with Christ was really the most important thing in my life. So to have her practice kind of centered around that was something that was incredibly important to me to have sessions end with prayer and um, also just kind of be lined with the hope that we have in Christ in every conversation was just so incredible, something I was really grateful for. I think she never told me that everything's going to be okay or there's there were no promises, I think, made aside from the hope that we have in Christ in the midst of the difficulties and sufferings that we experience. And I think even as an adult, that's something that I really cling to. She also was just really helpful at providing like some tangible coping skills and tools that I could use like in my everyday life to help manage some of those anxieties too. And Ashley, what did your parents do right as Mm -hmm. they watched you try to navigate some of the challenges Mm -hmm. that you were facing? Yeah, I think I'm really fortunate because my parents were always very open to getting me and my siblings the help that we needed and meeting with counselors or um, different doctors if that was something that they felt was necessary. So I think first and foremost, just their willingness to lean into just different professionals is something I was really grateful for. They really worked hard to find a counselor that was going to be a good fit for me. Um, and that's something that I often tell my clients is that's that's what's really important to me, too, is if I'm not a great fit for the clients that I'm working with, like we want to find someone that you connect with and feel safe and comfortable with. So um, that's something that I feel like my parents really emphasized, too, is as we looked for a counselor was finding someone that I felt safe and um, just comfortable confiding in. So that meant doing a little bit of research to find someone who would be a good fit for me. And when we were able to do that, I think just seeing them prioritize my mental health was something that I really learned a lot from. They were consistently taking me to appointments and just really having conversations with me to kind of check in on my anxieties as I was meeting with my counselor too. Um, I think the biggest thing 
kind of phrase that I remember my mom saying to me when I was younger is, this is going to be hard. We're not going to say that this situation is going to be easy, but we also know that you can do hard things. And I think um, that was something that was super empowering for me, even as a, a little kid to know like, okay, it might be difficult and I have to kind of prepare for that, but I also am stronger than I even know and can do some of those difficult things too. That's great. So your, mom, your mom sounds like she's a pretty smart she's person. Very wise. Ashley, <laughs> what are some of the what are some of the themes or just kind of ways that you see anxiety manifesting itself mm-hmm. in the general population of mm-hmm. young people these days? Mm-hmm. I would say probably most consistently um, clients coming in with stomach aches. I would say the majority of child and adolescent girls that I meet with are having their anxieties kind of present in stomach aches. They'll generally go to the doctor and kind of rule out any physical symptoms. And then at that point, I've noticed that doctors will kind of encourage parents to maybe meet with a counselor and see if it's maybe a physical manifestation of their anxiety. So um, I would say that's probably the most consistent way that I see anxiety um, kind of showing up in kids' lives as I meet with them. And again, I know every client is different and every story is different, mm-hmm. but what are some of the uh, kind of the underlying causes that mm-hmm. you're seeing these days mm-hmm. about what's what's driving just a widespread mm-hmm. challenge of anxiety? Yeah, I think um, the pandemic is one thing that I definitely have seen. I kind of got into the, this work right 2021, right post pandemic. So I guess I don't have a ton of insight on what it looked like prior to that. But I do have just a lot of kids who are anxious about um, just school, um, social situations, making friendships and interacting with their peers um, within the school setting. I think a lot of kids missed out on some opportunities during the lockdown and everything that kind of followed that, where I definitely see it coming up kind of in social spaces within school. Also, just separation from parents whether that's going to a school space or um, even entering into sports. But I think ultimately a lot of that I see underlying just in self-confidence as well. Just I find benefits often just to really lean into those areas of self-confidence and just recognizing, similar to what my mom told me, (laughs) it might be hard to go to school. It might be hard to start this new sport or or enter into this new new job, but you can do those hard things. And I think just recognizing like if we can lean into those areas of confidence, it can just do wonders for kids too. Talk about that a little bit, Ashley. What are Mm -hmm. some of the the tools or the conversations that you use with your clients to frame what it, what it means to identify where there's a gap in self-confidence mm-hmm. and what it might look like to bridge that gap. Yeah, I think with some of my older teen clients, I really love just leaning into kind of negative core beliefs that they might hold and recognizing, is there anything that some of my behaviors might be rooted in? So unpacking, you know, I'm really studying significantly for this test, maybe more so than I even need to, and, and really unpacking what What's driving that behavior for you then? So I think leaning into what are maybe some of those core beliefs that you hold about yourself and seeing if there's anything that maybe is inaccurate or maybe distorting the way that you view yourself. I think with younger kids, really just finding um, phrases um, to encourage strength and confidence. And I think, especially from a Christian perspective, just knowing that God created you in his image and he doesn't make mistakes. You were made just the way that he intended and really leaning into to that and reminding yourself of that even in those difficult situations. Ashley, that's so good. Talk about like what are some of the common false narratives that you end up 
discovering in some mm-hmm. of your sessions? Mm-hmm. Like, are there some, mm-hmm. are there some that are repeating? Mm-hmm. And what and what are those? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say the statement of just "I'm not good enough." I hear that mm-hmm. come up very often, and that can fuel a lot of those behaviors that clients initially will come into counseling for. And then the further we unpack that, we realize that it's really um, being fueled by this belief that I'm not good enough. So I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that I don't feel that fear come to fruition. Being unlikable is another one that I often hear. And especially just in middle school and high school context, I think that's a huge concern with a lot of clients that I meet too, is just that people aren't going to like me if they really get to know who I am to my core. And I think probably the third one that I hear most often is just um, not having worth or value, which I love coming from a Christian perspective. Um, There's just so much within the Bible and just knowing who God is that we can use to really contradict that, that fear and belief that a lot of people struggle with. Ashley, what can parents or aunts, uncles, friends, neighbors, youth pastors, how, how can they come alongside young people who are asking these questions and not not minimize the challenges that they're feeling, but to come mm-hmm. alongside them and continue to kind of supplement the work that you're doing mm-hmm. and remind them of, of things that, that are true? Yeah. First, just coming from a place of validating like that, that's tough to be going into a school space or a sport environment and feeling like people aren't going to like me. So I think to first validate, that makes sense that you're feeling anxious about this. This would be really difficult to enter into these spaces feeling like I might not be good enough to recognize, yes, it makes sense that that's created anxiety, but also leaning into the fact that that doesn't have to be your reality for the rest of your life, leaning into biblical truths just about who God views us as and who he made us to be and recognizing, I think it takes time to undo some of those beliefs that we might hold about ourselves, but to just recognize that in the midst of that, coming alongside them and just encouraging them with those truths, I think, even if you don't see an immediate change in that, reminding them who they are in God's image and just the great person that they are, I think, holds so much value in the long run, too. It's so good to hear you talk about validating, because I think that sometimes in an effort to be helpful, Mentors or adult figures will say like, oh, it's not a big deal, Mm -hmm. or you're going to be fine, Mm -hmm. or I don't know why you're freaking out about this, Mm -hmm. or it's hard to be 12, you'll get to 15 and everything will be fine. Mm -hmm. That's well-intentioned, but Mm -hmm. ultimately not helpful. Yeah. I actually was talking to one of my coworkers about that. I think it was last week and he made a comment. Dr. Kurt Stevens had said, those comments are well intended, well intended, but they then leave space for anxiety to kind of remain there. It's not going to go away. And then it also can produce this guilt that kind of accompanies this of, well, why am I feeling this way? Because I can't necessarily get rid of it now. Kind of be counterproductive, I think, where it's well-intentioned but can almost create a sense of guilt or shame around the fact that I'm struggling right, with because, that. Right, because you go from I'm scared to mm-hmm. I feel bad about being scared. Right. So those kind of layer on top of yeah, each other. Yeah, which is, it's well-intentioned and I know, yeah, it comes from a good space, but I think it's, yeah, the validating can be so beneficial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember a few years ago when one of my daughters was a sophomore in high school, she was concerned about you know, a potential outbreak of violence mm-hmm. at her school. Mm-hmm. And because our public schools here in Zealand have a, an outdoor path mm-hmm. that connects both campuses. And so she would always say, hey, I know what's supposed to happen if there's like an active shooter at this building. And I know what's supposed to happen if there's an active shooter at this building. I don't know what would happen if there's an active shooter in the parking lot between the path. Mm-hmm. And like my first instinct as a dad would be was to be like, well, buddy, like statistically, that's probably not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But that 
wasn't what she needed to hear. Mm -hmm. So we went home and we're like, we came up with a Google map and we said like, okay. And, and again, it, I didn't, I didn't want to like cement her fear, mm -hmm. but I did want to, I tr was trying to be empowering. And I don't know if this is the right answer or not, but I was right. like, okay, well, if you're in this spot, run here. And if you're in this spot, run here. And if you're in this spot, run here. And it like, thank God, like she never needed to use any right. of that information, but there was, but having, having a plan mm -hmm. to be able to say like, oh, if, God forbid, a worst case scenario unfolds going to this new school or struggling on this test, I've got some options as mm -hmm. to how I can respond. Does mm -hmm. that does that make any sense? Yeah, no, and I think you made a great point too. to have those plans and have something set in place, I think can definitely alleviate the fear and empower individuals. But I often tell clients too, we want to make sure that we're not kind of going down this rabbit trail of then what if. So right. to differentiate between, and that's exactly what you did to differentiate between like, we're going to empower you so that we have a plan, but we're not going to sit here and stew in the what ifs right. beyond making right. that you're not plan. Gonna, you're not going to talk about that every day before right. you go to school. Right. right? Because <laughs> that then becomes that gets counterproductive. <laughs> yeah. No, that's so good. Actually, it seems like in the in this day and age, there's just so much conversation nationally around social media, around anxiety, around depression, mm -hmm. around different challenges that kids face. How what are what are some paths or tools that you do to help lead kids back to joy? Mm -hmm. Like I know you talked about confidence, and mm -hmm. I think that that's one of one of those ways for sure. Mm -hmm. But what are other ways that we can help kids reclaim their innocence mm -hmm. in a world that sometimes has them growing up faster than? they need to. Yeah. Yeah. I think social media can um, definitely play a role in that. And I think that that's a tough conversation that I often have with parents just around how do we um, protect the innocence of, of these kids while also recognizing the social media is a way that they connect with their peers. And I can't say that I have a definitive answer on <laughs> exactly how to navigate the situation of social media, but I think leaning into that and really unpacking what are the benefits versus drawbacks when it comes to social media use and how can I really use this to build my child up rather than have it become maybe more of a hindrance for them? So I don't think there's a black and white answer when it comes to the use of social media, but I think having conversations around it is super just beneficial for kids as well. I'll often talk with kids in my, my sessions just around what brings you joy and what are you passionate about? I often find that it takes some time to really think about that. You, I myself will struggle sometimes to kind of understand and, and recognize like what is something that really brings me joy in this season of life. And I think um, for kids to identify what that might look like and find ways to implement that in the midst of their day, even if I'm feeling anxious, I'm going to take five or 10 minutes to do something that just really brings me happiness and joy, I think can be so beneficial. And I would also just say celebrating the small victories. Um, when we talk about anxiety, especially, it can be a really long process for certain people to kind of process through that. And I think those small accomplishments just to celebrate that i see just so much pride and joy in those kids when they make those small steps and are able to come back in the next session and accomplish that so i i even encourage parents like even if it's a small baby step that's been made just to really celebrate that and live into those moments too actually give an example of like a small win mm -hmm. that, that you have witnessed I, mm -hmm. again protecting everybody's confidentiality right. the way that you always do yeah. but what are what is it what is an example of somebody who, a child who's 
12-year-old girl mm-hmm. who might struggle with anxiety. Mm-hmm. She's in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. What's What could a win look like for her? Yeah, I think, man, there's so many ways that that can show up. The first thing that comes to mind, I guess, is school attendance. I'll have a lot of kids in middle school and high school that are really struggling to stay in school because of the anxiety that they're experiencing. So it looks different for every kid, but maybe saying, hey, we're going to have one day this week where we're going to try to stay in school the whole day, or we're going to have one day this week where we're going to maybe try to stay in an hour longer than what it looks different for each kid depending on the length of that but I think to sit and talk with each kid to figure out what's going to be a realistic tangible step for them to make I've had two or three clients that have gone from um missing two to three days of school or having to leave early to coming in and saying, I had one day where I didn't miss and we're going to celebrate that. <laughs> that That's huge. <laughs> that's great. Ashley, when you talk about that, how as a parent do you know when to push, mm-hmm. especially like mm-hmm. for school attendance, if we're going to use that as an example, mm-hmm. and when to say, you know what, I think... I think my child is pretty fragile today. Mm-hmm. It might actually do more harm than good to make them gut it out. Mm-hmm. Because I, I grew up in a generation mm-hmm. where it's just like, if if you have all of your limbs attached to your body, you're going to right. school. Yeah. Right? Like the whole idea of like a mental health day in the yeah. 80s was completely foreign to my parents in my neighborhood right. growing up. But we're in, a different, we're in a different space now. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it, it varies with each client that I meet with and each parent that I talk to. Um, I think one thing that I do emphasize is if we're going going to lean into something and say, we've made a commitment, we're going to go through with this, to recognize there might be other spaces in their life where we're going to maybe pull back on a little bit and say, you're really leaning into this goal. So that might mean having to skip a practice this week or lightening up the load in other areas. I think one thing that I'll often tell parents is if a child has committed to something, that's generally where I will say it's worth pushing it through, at least in that initial experience saying that, you know, if we can't get through this, I, I guess I'm thinking more sports practices in this yeah. regard. If we if we said we're going to make a commitment to this sport, we're going to try one practice. This is something that you've committed to. And maybe we can reevaluate afterwards. Because I think the one, the one concern that I often talk about with parents is we want kids to know that they can do those hard things. And I think to allow their anxiety to stop them from, from a commitment that they've made can almost reinforce that belief that the anxiety is difficult to me it's too impossible to manage and and can be counterproductive at that point so yeah i think the cases look different for each client but the one thing that i will say is if it's a commitment that's been made i generally will say let's kind of push through this one initial time and then reevaluate at that point how we're feeling yeah and I love that you use sports as an analogy because I, I think there's so many ways where sport can be helpful mm-hmm. because it's active, right? Mm-hmm. We are doing some with our body. And like mm-hmm. usually we're running around inside or we're getting time outside. It gives us opportunity to set goals. Mm-hmm. It teaches us some social scope coping skills, mm-hmm. allows us to push our bodies. And for Kelly and I, we've got four kids. And one of the things that we've learned is the average in high school, the sports season is around 10 weeks. Mm-hmm. And usually there'll be two weeks in and there'll be a falling out with a coach or there'll mm-hmm. be a frustration with another player. And it's just like, I don't like this. I don't want to do it mm-hmm. anymore. And we're like, you know what? Finish the season mm-hmm. and then we can reevaluate. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many times we've been six weeks into a season. They're like, I hate this sport. I'm never doing it mm-hmm. again. And then we finish the season. They're like. I need to buy new shoes because I'm doing right, this again next year. Right, and and then it's so worth it on the, the the end of that for sure. Right, right. I was having a conversation with one of my kids who's an athlete yesterday, and they were saying, "Hey, I think I want to join a new like I want to continue like playing this sport after this 
uh, kind of season of it is mm-hmm. over, and there were some really hard things that they experienced mm-hmm. in previous runs mm-hmm. that we were talking to be able to say, like, oh, if you play this sport in college, all of these experiences that were really hard um, will prepare you really well for maybe not getting to be a starter when you're a freshman mm-hmm. or learning to kind of pay your dues on a JV team mm-hmm. before you can play varsity. So I love the fact that you're saying, hey, it's okay to it's okay to push our kids mm-hmm. uh, as long as we know them well enough to know when where where the limits are. And yeah, that can be a dance exactly. sometimes too, right. right? Like maybe maybe the edge of what they were capable of last week is better in a positive way this week, or maybe they took a step back this week yeah. and we need to give them grace to be where they are. Right. No, and I think that's a great point too, to really take into account everything that's maybe happened within that day or that week and does my child have the ability to push through this or is there a lot going on in their life right now to where it might be helpful to pull back a little bit and, and give them a little bit of a breather? I think it's good to take those things into consideration and, and think of it as more of a dance. Ashley, for parents who have kids who are struggling with anxiety and maybe are new to therapy, mm-hmm. sometimes I hear them say, well, my kid's been going to therapy for four sessions or eight sessions or 12 mm-hmm. sessions and they're not in air quotes, like all better. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about, again, Every child in every case is different. Mm-hmm. But talk about the arc of what their counseling work can look like mm-hmm. and why sometimes it's entirely normal, if not expected, to take two steps forward and maybe a whole step back. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'll often tell parents when they bring their child into counseling for anxiety that our goal is not to get rid of their anxiety. Okay. Just like any other emotion that we have. Um, we wouldn't want to get rid of happiness or it's not realistic to get rid of sadness in our life. It's going to come up in some format. So that's one thing that I'll often kind of just to set expectations for parents is to recognize the goal isn't to get rid of the anxiety. Yes, if there are certain situations or triggers in their life that are creating some of that anxiety, it's definitely possible to decrease it. But I think I come more with an approach of um, how can we empower this child or this individual to live their life Um, managing their anxiety well and not feeling that it's um, consuming them. So that's kind of one note that I'll make when I'm first meeting with parents. I also, especially with younger kids, like to preface by saying the first three to four sessions are just going to be rapport building and getting to know this kid. Sometimes the idea of going to counseling for I was going to say a six or seven year old, but even a grown adult, it can feel <laughs> kind of intimidating and scary. So I think um, to have that perspective of I really just want my child to have a safe space to be able to manage some of this anxiety Um that's the goal is to set that foundation to have a good therapeutic relationship with the client. So really those first three to four sessions are focused on, and sometimes it can look longer, sometimes it can look shorter, but um, really focused on just relationship building and creating a safe space to process through those anxieties. But I think to recognize that progress is not always a consistent kind of vertical trend. There will be situations that come up where the anxiety might start to increase, but when we look kind of and take an aerial view of what's happened, there has still been growth even in the midst of maybe having setbacks in those situations. So I often encourage parents to move kind of farther back from just that immediate situation and look more broadly and see, have we seen generally an improvement when it comes to that anxiety management? 
That's great. Ashley, I remember when we had kids who were toddlers, sometimes like a toddler would fall down like a short flight of steps or something. And the first thing they would do is look around for cues mm -hmm. for everybody else. Mm -hmm. And if the parents start freaking out, then the child will start to cry. And mm -hmm. if the parents just kind of nod and smile along, they'll be like, oh, I guess I'm okay. Mm -hmm. How do we as parents keep from telegraphing some of our own yeah. anxieties on to our kids? Right. That's a great question. I think I love meeting with parents as well because I think there's so much um, just knowledge that can be gained around kind of what the family dynamic looks like and are there behaviors, whether they might be totally well intended, but are they behaviors that might be kind of creating even more anxiety for the child. I think the idea of just really empowering kids in those situations, and again, it's going to look different with each kid that you meet with, but yeah, I think that's a great example of kind of how are we going to react in this situation? Are we going to um, kind of jump in and, and save this kid who, I mean, obviously, if there's a serious injury, sure. right, right. <laughs> are we going to jump in and, and save this kid, or are we going to kind of step back and, and respond calmly? I think um, that's one thing that I'll often um, talk to parents about is when we see our child reacting with this anxiety, are we coming from a space that could potentially be creating more worry and anxiety, or are we coming from a space where we're validating the emotions that they're having, but also empowering them to figure out how we navigate that emotion? Okay. Actually, different parents um, have different views about meds. Mm -hmm. And there's some people who say like, hey, mm -hmm. if my kid goes on an anti-anxiety med, that feels mm -hmm. like a, a failure mm -hmm. or a concession. Or certain people come from faith mm -hmm. backgrounds where they feel like that means that they're not trusting God enough. Mm -hmm. What What's your take and yeah. what's been your observation? Yeah, that's a great question. I always preface those questions with clients recognizing that that's not my area of expertise. So I always say consult your medical doctor to, to get their their perspective around this. But I think when I meet with clients, I will generally, if, if parents are open to kind of seeing if the therapeutic process is going to be enough for their kids, kind of start out with that and see maybe getting some coping skills and having a safe space to talk about their anxieties is going to be enough for this child to not need medication. I would also say that I'm not opposed to it because there are some clients who I will talk to their parents and say this, your kid is doing every Thing, right? They're motivated, they're invested in the process, and it's just not kind of getting them where they need to be when it comes to right. that anxiety. And I think that's where the piece of just some of the chemical imbalances might be playing more of a factor and where medication might be beneficial for kids. So I, I would say it's not my initial go-to because I would encourage kids to first be empowered and, and identify, can I um, manage this with coping skills and a safe space to process? But I also think that there are times where um, physically it is helpful to have some of those medications just to help regulate some of those um, chemicals in their brain. That's good. Actually, I love how the fact that you'd like, you keep coming back to that word empower. <laughs> and I think that sometimes as parents, the temptation, mm -hmm. because we don't want to see our kids struggle. Mm -hmm. And sometimes if they're struggling, that means that we're struggling. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the it seems like what we want to do is fix. Mm -hmm. You just want to fix my kid, mm -hmm. like you talked before. Like, I just want to erase all the anxiety. Mm -hmm. And for you to be able to say... A, you couldn't do that if you wanted to. Mm -hmm. B, even if you could, that wouldn't help your your child mm -hmm. build the resilience or the grit or mm -hmm. just the, the the mental, emotional, spiritual skills mm -hmm. that they're going to need to navigate life. Mm -hmm. So I, I love the fact that you're saying, hey, the temptation is to look for a quick fix. Mm -hmm. But the greater gift is to have a long-term toolkit mm -hmm. that would empower your child going mm -hmm. forward. Am I, hearing, am I hearing that correctly? Yeah, yeah definitely. I think... Um, 
I would completely validate that desire to want to kind of walk in and, and save your kid from those situations that it's not easy to watch your kids struggle through some of those really difficult emotions. But I also trust that God has a purpose in that. And I think there's so much to be gained and learned from those experiences when you're able to walk alongside your kids and empower them to navigate those emotions as they come up. Awesome. Ashley, thank you so much for your time and insight today. Any closing words of wisdom for parents or patients who are trying to navigate these issues? Yeah, I think just patience. I know you had kind of talked about just the counseling process, and I think it's so natural to just want to have a quick fix. And it can be discouraging when we maybe don't see that immediately. But um, just to trust the process and know that it might not be a change overnight, but those small goals and accomplishments are so huge and worth celebrating too. So good. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Uh, You've been listening to Hope Through Hard Stuff. If there are ways that we as Winning at Home can help you with counseling, coaching, or other resources, please don't hesitate to check us out at winningathome.com. Thanks so much. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.